So um, this winter, my brother called me, and he, he called me just wanting to vent about something that had, that had happened. Um, he, I knew he was going on this, this ski trip this particular weekend that he had called me. And so at the end of the ski trip, he calls me to uh, just tell me uh, something crazy that had happened. He said, so my buddy Adam and I, that, I were, uh, we, that we were going uh, skiing together, um, we, we got separated, he said. And so as we're, we're separated, and, and it took a good while. I mean, I, I, it had been almost an hour. I couldn't find him. He said, I get a phone call from the, the hospital nearest to the mountain and, and said, uh, we have your friend Adam here. And so he goes to the hospital. And uh, it ends up what had happened with, with Adam was that um, he was, he was kind of being uh, you know, a little too comfortable and skiing and kind of skiing out of his element as uh, many of us young bucks do, right? And so he was skiing pretty aggressively and caught an edge and just smashed his face into the snow and the ice so hard that immediately he was knocked unconscious and went face first, left his skis and everything at the top of the mountain. They just popped off. Face first, slid down this this double black diamond and just all the way to the bottom, unconscious, so had no control of himself. And his arms were just, people who were there said it was absolutely awful. And uh, he woke up uh, being loaded up on a stretcher. And so uh, my brother um, is telling me the story and just said, Josh, I I felt so bad, but uh, I couldn't. I couldn't even recognize him. He was 100% unrecognizable. Lips were busted up. He said they had cuts clear across each lip from corner to corner. Eyes were just swollen shut. I mean, just awful, broken nose. He said it was, it was terrible. And he said I had to bring him later on. I had to bring him home from the, 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 the ski resort to his parents' house who would take care of him for two weeks. And he said, he said I just felt absolutely awful because I, I couldn't even look at him without just getting sick to my stomach. He said it was just, it was awful. And um, can I just say that, that this week in preparation for um, what I have to share you, uh, share with you, I, I tell you what, I, I've had to look at the cross uh, a lot this week. And I've had to look at the, the crucifixion, the, the torture of, of Jesus. And uh, can I tell you that I felt a lot like my brother looking at his friend as I've been going through the, the crucifixion this week. I mean, just stuff that I, I was studying and, and trying to get an understanding really honestly just made my stomach knot up. It just made me uh, really sick to think about um, what Jesus went through. And so I think it's really important for us this morning to look at the cross, to look, what, look at what he went through. Um, it's important. We have to. We have to understand um, so that we can have really a better appreciation of our, our standing in the Lord. And so that's what we're going to do uh, this morning is, is look at the cross. Many of you guys have, have crosses hanging up in your home. Uh, some of you maybe have uh, a cross sticker on your car or on your window. I don't know. Uh, some of you have worn in the past gold or, or silver or if you're really cool, like a, a wooden cross around your neck. You know, Some of you have... Um, seeing crosses mounted at church buildings, and we don't really have that liberty here. Um, you, maybe, you know, you or, or someone you know has a cross tattoo somewhere on, on their body, and, and, and there's all kinds of nice artwork out there with crosses that we can look at and say, wow, that's, that's beautiful, and they're there to, you know, commemorate and, and celebrate the work uh, that Jesus did on the cross, but, but we, we, need to, we need to be very careful that there's no lapse in our memory that the cross is, 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 is a, an awful thing. 
The cross was repulsive. The, the cross was horrifying. It was excruciating pain that, that people would go through. In fact, the word excruciating comes from, uh, it's referring to the cross. It was a word that was uh, especially invented uh, for the cross, excruciate. It means out of the cross. And, and so that word was, was invented just for that very reason. So what I want to do is I want to talk crucifixion for a little while here. I want us to really uh, get it before we jump into uh, some text. It's important to understand what he has endured. Um, and so, like I said, it'll feel a little bit different this morning, but um, we will be in Mark 14 if you want to go ahead and start preparing and getting yourself there. If you don't have a Bible on your way in, you can always grab one and uh, keep that. If you don't have one of your very own, we'd be glad for you to take that home. But we're going uh, to look at crucifixion here for a little while. So uh, crucifixion can be traced all the way back to uh, the Persians. And uh, the Persians uh, were really as far back as we can date it, uh, and it looked a little differently there. Uh, the Persians would have people impaled in their midsection with a stake, and they would leave them on the stake for days and days until they died. And then even in, in 518 B.C., King Darius uh, killed 3,000 Babylonians in, in, uh, in this way. And then later, uh, the notorious, you've heard of him, Alexander the Great, um, he, he transitioned uh, this impalement method uh, with a wooden stake into now that we're actually hanging people up onto wooden uh, crosses. And so in 332 B.C., Alexander the Great himself actually uh, crucified 2,000 people when conquering Tyre. Uh, later in 71 B.C., you've heard of Spartacus, right? Spartacus and 120,000 prisoner, prisoners were, uh, were, were murdered with the Romans, and 6,000 of those prisoners were actually um, crucified along a 120-mile stretch of, of Roman highway. And so I give you just some of these dates just to help you see that, that crucifixion is real. Crucifixion is historical. The Romans, what they uh, then began to do is to take this, this execution method and, and tweak it a little bit. They would take it and, and, and do whatever they could to make it the most painful and, and the longest um, execution out there. It was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals. So, so those men who uh, committed high treason uh, would, be, would be crucified. Roman soldiers um, also would then, uh, once they had people up on crosses, they would experiment um, with torture and see what they could do. Um, torturing people on the cross, maybe they could develop ways that it would be even more painful, develop ways that it would, it would last the longest amount of time. And so even for Jesus as a young child, he would have been familiar with crucifixion. He would have, have seen it even in, uh, when, when, when Jesus was just really young at 84. Um, there were about 2,000 Jews who were crucified as they revolted up against the, the Romans. And so Jesus himself would, would have known that, would have seen it, and uh, knew it was, he knew it was coming. And sure enough, his, his crucifixion um, did, did come. And so we, we've thought a little bit on um, just what it, it, it did. I want to think about the, the pain a little bit here. The, the person on death row, the person who would be hung on the cross, would be hung on a cross with either uh, ropes or would be hung on a cross with nails. Uh, we know that Jesus from Scripture was hung on a cross with, with nails, and uh, that would lead to death by asphyxi asphyxiation uh, or oxygen uh, deprivation. And what would happen is these people hanging on the cross would come in and out 
of consciousness for, for a course of anywhere from three hours to, to up to nine days, just coming in and out of consciousness as they hang on a cross, as their, their lungs are just fighting and fighting and fighting for air. And what would happen, too, is, is these victims would often try to slump themselves down on the cross so that they could empty their lungs of the oxygen and just make themselves uh, die faster. Um, and so what archaeology has dug up is, is some crosses that even have a seat right under the buttocks so that, that men couldn't slump down, so they couldn't empty their lungs of air so that they would have to be up there even longer. And so not only was this, this pain long and lasting, it, it was also uh, humiliating. And what they went through was absolutely, absolutely brutal. They were hung naked on a cross so that, so that people could come by and mock them and taunt them. Also, not really subconsciously knowing that this was, this was Rome's way of saying, don't, don't mess with us. And so they would hang them on the cross and be taunted. And, and, and guys would even be out there scorched in the sun, as you can imagine, if they're there for nine days, just completely, completely uh, burnt. And, and it was just an awful thing. Below the crosses would be a puddle of sweat and blood and urine and human waste. It was just an absolutely awful thing and, and so occasionally another thing they would do is they would take the crosses that we picture always being high up in the air and they would have people crucified at eye level so that people could really get in their face and really taunt them and really humiliate them they would also uh, on the rare occasion that a woman would be crucified they would take the woman and they would make her uh, be crucified facing the cross because even uh, for these awful uh, Romans they, they couldn't uh, deal with having to see a woman go through this kind of, of pain. The uh, ancient historian Josephus said it was the most wretched of, of deaths. And, and so it's important for us to know as we even get into our text that, that this is where Jesus is heading. Jesus is, is heading to the cross. It's this intimidating symbol of Rome's power. It was just a, the, the most torturous, terrible way to die. And so as we get into Mark 14, the, the weight of it all really just weighs heavy on us. And, and for us here today, it is Palm Sunday. Ryan preached about it uh, several weeks ago. Mark chapter 11, Jesus enters into Jerusalem with uh, just tremendous praise, tremendous uh, fanfare, and, and people were, were waving palm branches. They were laying them on the ground for Jesus as he rides on a colt to walk on. People loved his teaching. They loved his, his, his miracles. They, they loved him also as he was coming into Jerusalem because they thought that Jesus would come in. He would whip up on Roman rule. He would be their military uh, victor and, and free them from Roman oppression. So he's coming in. Palm Sunday, we celebrate it today, week before, before the resurrection. They were excited about Jesus. They loved Jesus. But they would find quite the opposite of what they were expecting. They, they would find that, that the, the, the worst of Rome would get the best of Jesus, that he would be hung on a cross and they would take his life. And so today what we see is really a stark contrast to Palm Sunday. Today we see the crucifixion here in, in Mark 14. Palm Sunday is the celebration of Jesus. The crucifixion is the murder of Jesus. Palm Sunday, it's loud as they sing loudly his praises. Crucifixion, they're loudly demanding uh, his, his death. Palm Sunday, there's, there's this verbal uplifting and encouragement, whereas crucifixion, there's a physical crushing, just stark contrast. And what we, what we see in that is just the bipolar nature of humanity, that, that, that man, we're just very, very wishy-washy. And, and so for us, it's been 
it's been over a month between these two accounts, Palm Sunday and um, the, the crucifixion as we read it today. But for them, it was only a matter of days. And it really shows just how, how, how people are as we are, are quick to jump on and support um, very much uh, just, just our nature is to give people a commitment, but we're also very quick to change our minds and to uh, lose support. And so people are easily swayed. So now let's pick up um, where we left off last week. If you want to look at Mark 14, uh, we'll look at uh, verse 10, and uh, we'll go 10 and 11. And what I'm going to do, as I told you, it's going to feel a little bit differently, is, is, is rather than going through it all, I'm going to just really uh, summarize each chunk as we get through uh, 14 and, and 15. It'll be a little bit of a narrative this morning rather than preaching, and uh, I think the, the text will just really preach itself here. So I'll summarize, and, and rather than reading, you can just kind of keep your eyes at it, glance at it, and then flip through it with me. Uh, in Mark 14, 10 through 11, here's what happened. Judas Iscariot, maybe you've heard of him, he is um, one of the disciples of Jesus. He's also the treasurer of, of Jesus' ministry. We learned uh, last week that he had been embezzling money this entire time throughout Jesus' uh, ministry. And, and, and now what happens in, in these two verses is the worst financial crime that he has committed to date. He sells out. He receives some money from the chief priests so that he might give them the whereabouts of Jesus so that they could arrest him and so that they could murder him. Now, obviously, they could have done this at any point along the way, but they wanted to do this in private, not in a public place, because they were fearful of a revolt of the people who liked him um, up to this point. And so that's what's going on. We have Judas Iscariot sells Jesus out. Now look at 14, 12 through 25. We have now the Passover. Uh, Jesus had, had recently began speaking openly about his impending death. And, and so this time he does it at the Passover meal, which is this annual tradition of, of the Jewish people as laid out in Exodus chapter 13. And, and at this meal, this time, Jesus breaks 15 centuries worth of tradition declaring that he is the fulfillment of that tradition that they had engaged in for 15th century. What this meal did is it memorialized uh, when God brought his people out of, of Egypt, when they were in bondage and in slavery to Egypt. And, and what God said for them to do is to take uh, blood of a sacrificed lamb and, and, and put it over a doorpost, and the angel of death would pass over their doors and, and not take the firstborn from uh, the people of Israel as he was going to do uh, throughout all the people of Egypt. An, an awful thing, but understand that God had been time and time and time and time again, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. He had uh, forbearance, he had patience, he had mercy on them. Finally, he says, let my people go, and they refuse. And so the angel of death comes and takes the firstborn child, except for those of Israel who would put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, hence the name Passover as he passes over them. And so here, in, in this portion of the text, 12 through 25, Jesus declares, one, that I'm going to be betrayed, speaking about Judas, and two, he says, that wine that you're drinking, that wine is, is speaking to my blood, which suddenly they say, what? <laughs> that wine is speaking to my blood that would be shed for you as the firstborn son of of God, I would die and my blood would cover your sin so that God's wrath would pass over you. It's this tremendous act of love that Jesus is speaking to of his sacrifice and his substitution for us. Now moving on from Passover, look at 14.26 through 31. Now what we, we have is Jesus predicting the denial of, of Peter. He says, Peter, you're going to deny me. 
fact, everybody's going to deny me and, and bail on me, is what he says here. And uh, Peter is, is the oldest of the disciples. He's, he's um, arguably the closest to Jesus among the disciples. And um, Jesus says, you're going to deny me, and you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, we'll see in a minute that he does. And so we just see things are progressively getting worse and worse and worse here. Now, 32 through 42 of 14. Jesus goes to pray with his closest disciples. Jesus is with Peter. He's with, with John and, and with James. And they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, a place that they would often go since they left the region of Galilee. And they're there to, to pray. And as we see here, Jesus is so distressed in his time of prayer that he begins to sweat drops of, of blood. And uh, as he's praying in this intense moment, knowing what's coming, knowing the wrath of God that's going to rest on him, he, he calls these three disciples with him in Gethsemane. He calls them to pray. But what we find here is that they keep falling asleep. He comes back to check on them, and they're sleeping. He says, wake up, pray. This is a big deal. I'm going to die. And he leaves, and he goes and continues to pray. He comes back, and again, they're sleeping time and time and time again. And so what we see is just the weight of all of this, the, 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 the looming death of Jesus that is coming on the cross. Is just, the weight of it is just getting heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And I want you to notice something in this section. We'll actually look at a couple of verses, 41 and 42 here of 14. Check this out, 41 and 42. Here's what he says. And he says, and he came the third time, and he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And, 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 and so what we need to see is that to those on the outside, it might appear, okay, Jesus' ministry is starting to crumble a little bit. It looks like they caught up with him. It looks like they, they, they got him. But let it be clear from here uh, that, that Jesus is in complete control, that it's not his life is being taken, it's that he's laying his, his life down. Let it be clear, he's, he's in control. He says, the hour has come. Hey, I've appointed the hour, here it is. The hour has come. He says, let's go. My betrayer is at hand. It's time for me to go, to be arrested, and then to be killed. He's got this, he's in control. It's all part of the plan. We need to see that. Now, look at, look at verses 43 through uh, 51. Immediately after Jesus says this, here's what happens. He says, the hour has come, my betrayer is at hand. Immediately what we see is here comes Judas, his betrayer, and he comes to Jesus with this angry, angry mob. And it was dark outside, and so what Jesus did to, to set the, uh, the angry mob to know who it was is Judas went to Jesus, and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. The kiss was a cue. This is the one. It was dark. They didn't have the electricity that we have today, obviously, and so it was hard to make him out. Jesus knew him well. And, and so he says, here's a man, I kiss him, you get him. And, and so here's what Jesus says to the mob in, in verse 49. You want to check that out. Look at 49, 1449. He again shows his control and he says, Day after day I was with you in, in, in the temple teaching, but you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. See, it's, he's in complete control. It's happening now. You had all this opportunity to seize me, but now's the time, now's the place, let the scriptures be fulfilled, come in and, and take me, let's do this, we're going to the cross. Now, look at verse 50, it says, and they all left him and fled, they all left him and fled, 
as you have been going with us through the book of Mark and we've kind of seen the journey up to this point, you see every opportunity that Jesus has given these disciples as he sent them out, as he's uh, ministered to their families, ministered to them, he's given them this great privilege to be a part of something that's tremendously huge. When it comes to Jesus' darkest hour, they bail on him. So we've seen Judas sells him out, Peter is predicted to deny him, and now they all they all left him. They left him alone. He's had tens of thousands of people following him and committed to him, but in his darkest hour, he's alone. I don't know about you. Maybe you've had some, some dark hours in life. You can even think through just places in, in life, places in time where it was your most terrible time of life. Can you imagine going through that with no consolation from anybody? He is alone here. Now, verses 53 through 72 Here's what we have. In 53 through 72, remember Jesus has had a sleepless night agonizing in prayer and telling his disciples, wake up, join me in prayer. They're sleeping. He's having this agonizing time. He's, he's exhausted. 53 through 72, Jesus is brought through this series of, of false trials. And look at verse 56 here. Let's read 56. Speaking to these false trials, he says, for many bore, it says, for many bore false witness against him. But their testimony did not agree. And so he goes through these false trials. People are speaking out against Jesus. But it was not true because their testimony did not even line up. And, and see, what was going on is Christ was this threat to the leaders. He was, uh, for them, they were, they were um, anxious at his presence. They were concerned with what he was doing. They also felt like he wasn't doing it the way they had expected the prophecies to go. And so they're trying to get him but they can't get him. They're trying to turn people on him. They're speaking uh, untruths about him, but they can't seem to nail the, the Messiah. And so they were angered at his, his claim to be the Christ. They were angered at who he was and what that meant for them. And so they bring him uh, to trial. Now, look at verses 61 and, and 62, and I want to read these, 61 and 62. It says, But he remained silent and made no, made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And so 61, are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God, the Blessed? He says, I am. And he says, and you will see me at the right hand of God. Now think about the right hand here. What he's doing is two things. One, he's saying, yes, I'm Christ. Yes, I'm I'm." The, the Messiah, the long-awaited one. It's his first time in this book where he openly declares that. And then the second thing he's saying is, and you will see me sitting at the righteous right hand of, of God. In other words, the tables are going to turn. You're judging me now, but I am God, and I will have uh, the power to judge you then. He says the tables, they're going to turn, guys. They're going to turn. You're going to see me at his right hand. Now, let's read 63 through 65. Here's where it starts to get a bit heavy. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? He's talking to the court here. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And so... What happens is, upon Jesus saying, I am the Christ, I am the Son of the blessed, 
the, the high priest Caiaphas rips his clothes. He tears his, his clothes, showing that he was distressed at the statements of Jesus, showing that, that he regarded Jesus' statement as complete blasphemy. In fact, the high priest was required to tear his robe whenever he heard blasphemy. And so he, he calls the council, what's your decision? Make a decision. And they say, they say we're going we're gonna to decide that, that, that he will be put to death. And then we start to see the violence upon Jesus that we were speaking to earlier really, really begins right here. It says they, they, they start to spit on him. They even put a bag over his head, and they start to punch him. They start to beat him. Uh, meanwhile, as we, we move on, verses 66 through 72, while this is going on with Jesus, Peter, on the other hand, with no regard, he is denying Jesus. He denies Jesus three times, and on the third time, he denies Jesus with such passion that he curses. So he says something like, may God send me to hell if I ever even knew the man. That's how much passion Jesus denies uh, or Peter denies Jesus with which, which now brings us into chapter 15 and we continue on with, with trials happening here and, and, and verses 1 through 5 we see Jesus uh, he, he's already been condemned by the Jewish leaders to death but now they're going through the formal process the Jewish leaders bring Jesus to their Roman governor in, in 1 through 5 they bring him to, to Pilate they ask Pilate to have him put to, to death here and so Pilate starts to question him a little bit, and Jesus remains silent. According to, to Luke, the next thing that happens here is, is Pilate then sends Jesus to Herod, and uh, he sends him to Herod, who will then question Jesus but render no judgment. He doesn't really know what to do. So he sends him back again to, to, to Pilate. And, and so as he goes to Pilate, um, we, we've kind of seen just Jesus, who has had no sleep the night before, who's already been beat up. He's just being passed around from court to court, from from Annas, uh, the, the former high priest, to Caiaphas, the current high priest, his son, to from Caiaphas to, to Pilate, um, from Pilate to Herod Antipas, from Herod Antipas back to, to Pilate. And so now here he is, the last step. He's in Pilate's hand, verses 6 through, sorry about that, 6 through 15. Look at 6 through 15. He's in Pilate's hand. And Pilate, uh, he, he, he begins to, to practice this custom that he had started. The custom that Pilate had started in regard to the, the feast. As the people are celebrating and having a feast, he decided uh, a while back that he would, he would start this custom of releasing one prisoner uh, with the feast so that he could make the people happy, so that he could show himself to be gracious and, and, and loving. And so um, what he would do here is he would present to the people, here are two people. You can uh, release Christ the Christ, the one who claims himself to be Christ Jesus, or you can release uh, Barabbas. And uh, he, he assumed that the people would want to release Barabbas because he assumed that only the, the Jewish leaders were against Jesus simply because they were envious of him. But the people, they, they just threw the party for him. They threw the fanfare at the Palm Sunday. Surely the people love him. But meanwhile, what had been going on is the, the, the chief priests had been stirring up the crowd and turning them. They're wishy-washy. Right? They're bipolar in a sense. He turns them, against, turns them against Jesus. And so when Pilate says, all right, who do you want me to release? They want Jesus. And they start to shout, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate says, wait a second, what evil, what evil has he done? They don't even answer. They just say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And, and Pilate, who has the power to end this thing, say, this is foolish, this isn't legal, this is awful. Pilate, who has that power, 
he's a people pleaser, he's a politician, and so he lets them uh, release Barabbas, criminal, and has Jesus crucified. And here's where really the violence goes from violent to just unreal, is they begin to scourge him. They strip him naked, and they scourge him. A scourging was, was so awful, so terrible, that many people never even made it to the cross. They would die from the scourging uh, alone. And so what would happen is they would take Jesus, who was now naked, they would chain his hands above his head. They would begin to lash his back, from his back all the way down uh, his legs, exposing all of that and just really absolutely destroying him with this thing you've heard of, maybe called the cat of, of nine tails. And what it would do is, is it had these leather straps on it. At the end of the leather straps, some of the leather straps had, had metal balls on the end to tenderize the flesh, much like a chef would tenderize uh, a steak. They would, they would tenderize the, the flesh. And then some of the straps had, had hooks on them, the other ones, hooks made of glass or bone or, or metal. And as the, the balls would tenderize the flesh, the hooks would nail, uh, just latch into the back, and then they would rip it away, and it would just destroy, absolutely destroy the flesh, so that that flesh and tendons and muscle would just be dangling off of his back like like ribbons, ribbons, and it was just absolutely terrible. And from this point on, every you can imagine every movement that he makes is just completely excruciating. Any movement is just from this point on is is unbearable. But then they have him to, to carry a crossbar, typically. Uh, he would carry the, 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 the upper bar of the cross on his back, but he couldn't do it. Doctors say that, that just the weight of falling with the crossbar on your shoulders, crawl, falling to the ground, just that weight alone would be like in a car and having a head-on collision and having the steering wheel just hit you in the chest. So that alone is another thing that could have killed him, but he goes on as they pass the crossbar to another to carry it for him. So he's had this sleepless night as he's prayed in agony. He's been ushered from trial to trial to trial. He's been beat up with a bag over his head so that he can't even see what's going on, so he can't even brace himself for every single punch. He's been now scourged and and whipped with this cat of, of nine tails, and now he moves to the cross where he will hang for hours and hours with his back exposed as it's rubbing up against a, a wooden cross. And, and I, I want you to know that this information is gruesome, yes, but it's real. It's real. And it's easy for us to see paintings. It's easy for us to wear crosses, which, which are good things. But it's easy for us to do that and to forget just how real this is, more than a tattoo, more than a necklace, more than an ornament. It's a, it's a real execution of a real man who was really God, who was really sinless, who really died a brutal death because he really was just, but yet he really loves us. That's our, our Lord, and that's why he goes through all of this. And so, really, I told you it would be different today. Um, whether you're a Christian or not, and you're in here, it's important for me, the best thing that I can do for you on this week, as we're in Mark 14 and 15, is to bring you to the cross and bring it before your eyes so that you can see what he has gone through for you. And what I want to do now before we read the rest of 15 is it starts to get uh, really heavy and really narrate what happens from this point on as he's actually hung up on the cross. I'm going to invite Ben to come up here. And Ben's just going to play um, the guitar. I'm going to, I'm going to read uh, the remainder of this chapter. And uh, I would invite you, go ahead and get your eyes on Mark 15, 21 through 47. And I want to read it. 
want us to think about the cross. I want to think about the response that, that the cross really demands of us. It demands our faith. It demands complete devotion to the one who gave it all. Um, and, 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 and so I want to think on that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read um, the rest of this, and then we're going to jump into a time of song uh, that really speaks to our response to the cross. Let it stir you to repentance. Let it stir you um, to, to turn from just the ridiculous things that we substitute for, for Jesus who gave it all for us, God in the flesh who dwelt among us and died for us and ascended, doing what we couldn't do. Let's read it. Mark 15, 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, gambling, to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour, 9 a.m., when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour, it's about noon now, had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's taken on the full weight of our, our sin. God's not, not looking at him anymore, not fellowshipping with him anymore. Verse 35. Some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down and take him. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and the younger, and of uh, James the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died and summoning the centurion he asked him whether he was already dead when he learned from the centurion that he was dead he granted the corpse of Joseph 
granted a corpse to Joseph, and Joseph brought a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. We're going to sing this song, a song of response. So I would invite you uh, in this time to stand, to, to think on Jesus, think on the cross, think on what it means, what it demands of us.